0: Let's look at uh, this quote. I want to start with this quote. The world would be a wonderful place if everyone was loving and generous, yet no one sought perfection. I kind of like that. It's pretty cool, huh? Then look at this. As a rule, and I found this to be true, as a rule, it is the pleasure haters that become unjust. Theologian Matthew Fox says that. We've been talking, we've been kind of on this theme that we're calling shift happens. And we've been talking about shifting our beliefs about God. And I want to shift today and talk about shifting our beliefs about humanity as a whole, about humanity and about creation as a whole. Now, um, OK, if you're really violent, I'm going to show you a clip that's going to have some violence in it. It's brief. But if you're very averse to graphic violence, you know, like the Braveheart type, that kind of stuff, or horror movies, um, brace yourself. You might want to close your eyes or something. Um, but I want to show you this this clip. It's funny because uh, we. Just talking to Joanne, because she and Julie both like those kind of movies that are just like one long conversation. (laughs) One long conversation, you know, like uh, Pride and Prejudice. It's bad enough when it's in modern English. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not advertising for that movie. Uh, And it may seem a little weird. Yeah, right, right. It it may seem a little weird, uh, especially if you look at the quote, you know, the first one we started with. Let's pull that one back up. Um, if I can. Nope, not that (laughs) I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, the world would be a wonderful place if everyone was loving and generous, yet no one sought perfection. And then I show you a movie clip about a world that's anything but uh, loving and generous, right? That's violent and evil and wicked. And so what's what's the correlation? What's the connection? I want to look at Why is it? Oh, I bet I don't have it on. No, I have it on. I've messed up? Oh. (laughs) I don't want that. Okay. Here's Augustine of Hippo writing in the late 3rd, late 300s, so late 4th century. Take away the barriers created by laws. Take away the barriers created by laws, men's brazen capacity to do harm. Their urge to self-indulgence would rage to the full. Now, Augustine of Hippo is commonly known as uh, the father of modern. I thought I had a slide for that, but yeah, the father of Western theology and really one of the fathers of Western philosophy. So, I don't know how many of you would have seen the movie The Purge. I'm guessing all of y'all Assembly of God people didn't, because you don't go to movies, but, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> or some of you that like those long conversations type movies. We listen to one every Sunday. Oh, oh, oh. No, actually it's not a conversation, because the conversation goes both ways. That's what we're having right now. <laughs> My point is, here, here's what I want you to see, because I want to talk about shifting our beliefs. Uh, I want to examine what do we really believe about humanity and what do we really believe? And if I just uh, bring it out on the surface to you, uh, what do you believe about humanity? I'm going to get all of the religious answers going in your head. Well, God loves humanity. Um, made in God's image, whatever the case may be. And you may be completely unaware of the fact that embedded this this idea of Augustine, that if you take away regulations, if you strip away consequences, if you strip away laws, then people will ultimately do evil. They will ultimately do violence and harm and self-indulgence. Uh, that that idea was a seed that was planted in the Western consciousness, planted in the Western psyche, that then plays itself out in that movie, The Purge. So The Purge and at least Western Christian theology may have more in common than what you think. There's a really good book out if you're interested in this kind of thing. Probably not, so I'll, but I'll reference it anyway. It's called Born Bad. I forget the name, of, uh, the author's name. But he traces Augustine of Hippo's ideas of original sin through every aspect of Western culture, from parenting. So the idea, especially for Christians, is that your kids come out rebellious, your kids come out stubborn, they come out with a bent to do wrong, and it's your job to train them and correct them and fix them, right? Uh, maybe that... Isn't part of your reality, but you didn't listen very much to James Dobson then, probably. Um, <laughs> uh, it's in psychology. Freud certainly, in his theories, um, his the base his base theory of personality was that you had an id, which I've always rem- remembered what the id was uh, by identifying it. This is my the way I remember it: irresistible desires. But for Freud, the id was all the horrible stuff you'd want to do. The id was the purge and then you had a super ego which had was your conscience which said no you don't do that kind of stuff and your ego your personality is torn between the two but he begins his conceptualization of where humanity is with them having a bent towards wanting to do evil democracy democracy is in place because the founding fathers believed what how many of you've ever heard this saying uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely right So they didn't want one person, like a king, having uh, total power and total control, right? Even though you could argue from the Bible that God was okay with it, at least with David, right? But they said, you know, you you shouldn't have one person who has all that power. And so they put, what, a system of checks and balances in place. And that's how you got your three branches of government, right? Because that was going to keep corruption in check. And maybe all they did was multiply corruption. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But do you see how even in our governmental systems that's in place? And so a lot of Western society has been structured around this idea that humanity in their essence has a bent towards doing harm, has a a bent towards doing evil. And the seed of that thinking came with the Roman Catholic Church and with St. Augustine. And his doctrine, a doctrine that he formulated, called original sin. For some reason, this isn't working for me. Uh, Original sin is a doctrine that says everyone is born sinful. This means born with a built-in urge to do bad things and to disobey God. Everybody's born that way, right? Now, here's what you may not realize. That was not a Christian doctrine until the end of the fourth century, because Augustine was the seeds of it was there. You can find church fathers like Tertullian and some of these others where the seed of that, those ideas were there. But uh, it was really Augustine that gave it form and, and, and solidified it in Western thinking. And what's interesting is, is that Hebrews, when they read the Bible, Jewish people, when they read the Bible, they don't have a concept of original sin. It doesn't exist in their thinking. Muslims, you can say whatever you want about Muslims, think whatever you want. But they draw from the same Old Testament stories that we do. And when they read the Old Testament stories about Adam and Eve, they don't have a concept of original sin. Now, here's what may surprise you. The church in its beginning was much bigger. uh, The Christian church was much bigger than just the Latin or the Roman version of it. You had the Greek Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, So you have the Orthodox churches that went out east. You have the Middle Eastern Church, which is known as the Syriac Church which was spreading uh, the gospel throughout Turkey and throughout the Middle East. You had the Ethiopian church that went down into Africa. You had the Oriental church that went into China and Japan and India that followed kind of a Thomas stream of, of thought and Christianity. You had the Celtic church, which uh, spread throughout um, Great Britain and that part of Europe, and none of those branches accepted Augustine's teaching on original sin. The only group that accepted his teaching on original sin was the Roman Catholic Church, which was foundational, formational in the thinking of the Western mind, of the Western consciousness including the Reformation, because the Reformers actually, the, the two big ones that we talk about usually, Martin Luther and John Calvin, were both Augustinian scholars, and so they drew uh, from Augustine's thought. And their idea was not so much to create a new religion as much as it was to reform the Catholic Church, which was already there. But the Catholic Church rejected the Reformation. So you have Presbyterians and Lutherans, and we've been splintering in the West ever since. So you have to ask yourself, if if the Jewish people who read the same stories don't believe in original sin and the Muslims who read the same stories don't believe in original sin and all these other streams of Christianity that were Christians read the same texts, worship the same God, believe in the same Savior, and they don't accept the doctrine of original sin, then we have to ask ourselves, how did it come about? How did Augustine get there? Glad you asked that question, Laurie, wherever you are. Um, he came from, now he spent his early life, he converted to Christianity. In his early life, he belonged to a religious sect called Manichaeism. Now, Manichaeism has died out, but it was the chief rival of Christianity in the third century. And they believed in strict separation between God and humanity. God's over here, and there's this huge gulf between you and God. They believed in uh, separation between good and evil. How many of you have ever taken an ethics course? i am just throw this out here. Or played an ethics game where you get these ethical dilemmas where it's just not clear-cut what the best thing to do is. Let me give you a practical example. Your wife comes home with a new dress, and she bought a size maybe a little too small for her because she doesn't want to accept the fact. This never happens in my house. Never happens. She doesn't want to accept the fact that maybe she's put on her body image in her mind, whatever hasn't updated or whatever. And she puts it on and says, how do I look in my dress, honey? And 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 you say, oh, that's you look great in that dress. But you're lying. <laughs> now, guys, what's the right thing to do in that situation? Do you hurt her feelings <laughs> and tell the truth? You tell the truth. <laughs> okay, I'm being facetious. I could create a more complex, let's say, moral dilemma about what do you do. Uh, actually, in the movie The Purge, what happens is, is this guy is is running from these people who are trying to kill him. And one of the kids has compassion on him and lets him into the house. And they're faced with a moral dilemma. You turn over the man to us or we're going to come in and kill your whole family. Or how about this moral dilemma? Jesus said, turn the other cheek, right? So what do you do if someone breaks into your home? So you got these pacifists that believe, you know, turn the other cheek and all that. And so they'll go around saying, you know, if somebody breaks into your home and wants to murder your children, that, you know, they'll turn the other cheek. And I've even heard some, someone say, someone said to me, uh, yeah, but I know my wife and my kids are saved. This person probably isn't saved, so I would... But see, now here's your, here's your moral dilemma. You're choosing somebody's life. Somebody's gonna get hurt. Yep. Right? Yep. So if you're a pacifist, where, where's your passivity? Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So all I'm trying to say is that in practical daily living, sometimes there isn't this great gulf between good and evil. Right. But they believe that in absolute principles that work in every situation absolutely. And and so it's the church is the biggest opponent of what someone might call situational ethics, where you look at the situation and the relationships and decide what's the best thing to do in that situation. And they would condemn that partly because all this thinking that Augustine had became a part of his theology, even though he got away from the religion, you can see it in all of his writings. And then the last one is, is there's a great separation between that which is spiritual and that which was material. So here's what they believed. There was a spiritual world of light that God had created in which man existed in uh, before the fall. And then after the fall, he fell into, or humanity fell into materiality, and materiality was was inherently evil. So everything that was material was inherently evil. So therefore, you have the uh, people taking vows of poverty. If you're going to go be a saint, you're going to pursue this spiritual world, you're going to take a vow of poverty because wealth is inherently evil. And then you get all these weird ideas that we'll talk about a little bit in a minute about sexuality that crept into the church because we begin to think that our body, even our body is evil. And so the way this kind of masquerades itself today is in a lot of places They talk about the fullness of the spirit, they'll talk about the war between the spirit and the flesh and they equate the flesh with the body. So you're, you're, you're set at odds with the body. All of that was part of the thinking that Augustine brought with him when he started reading the biblical texts. So he's reading it, having all of that stuff in his subconscious because of his training, his former training in Manichaeism. Does that make sense? So then, the next problem is, that he comes to this verse in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, and here's how it reads, sorry, here's how it reads in, uh, let me get to my notes, in the Greek. So if we translate the Greek to the English, here's how it reads, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death came to all people because all people have sinned. So what Paul's doing is he's saying sin and death are a universal problem. He's trying to help in the book of Romans. He's trying to help Gentile believers and Jewish believers, and he's really trying to help Jewish believers accept Gentile believers into their fellowship without them becoming Jewish themselves, meaning going through the rite of circumcision and keeping all of the laws. So it's not so much that he's trying to figure out how do how do we live uh, before the bar of God's justice as much as it is, how do we get this community of people to live together in love? And so what he's saying, he's he's saying Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus, that proves that Jesus is not a Jewish Messiah. Jesus is a human Messiah because he didn't solve a Jewish problem, which was their captivity to Rome. He solved a human problem, which was their captivity to death. So you see what he's doing? He's not saying everybody's born sinful and every, and that's why they die. He's saying sin and death is part of the human condition and it's a universal part and he uses Adam instead of Abraham because Abraham's the father of the Jews, Adam is the father of all of humanity. You see how that works? Now Here's his problem. We read that from the Greek, but here's his problem. He's using the Latin translation of the Greek that was available to him in his day. He didn't read Greek. He read what they translated from the Greek into the Latin. Are you breathing? So what he says here is, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, by sin death, and so death passed upon all men in whom all have sinned. So he looks at that in whom? And here's what he says. He says, everybody sinned in Adam. So here's the idea. Uh, how many, of you know, at some point, uh, Laurie's done all the genealogy, but most of our family line genetics is from the Celtic world, Scotch, Irish, that kind of thing. And so at some point, somebody, some relative from Scotland determined that they were going to come over to the U- America right and they were part of like families in Virginia and areas like that and then at some point somebody decided that they were gonna move out west and somebody at some point decided they were gonna settle in Colorado so I'm being affected by all those choices I'm not making them but I'm being affected by them right so I didn't grow up in Scotland Because I was in the loins of my great, 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 whoever when they came to the U.S., right? So this is kind of the idea that Augustine had, that we were in the loins of Adam, we were in Adam, but it would be almost like this. Instead of, instead of my great, 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 great choosing to come over from Scotland and settle in Virginia, it would be me choosing with my great, 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 great to come over and settle in Virginia. So that when, so that I actually had a part in the choice. So what he's saying is that everybody was in Adam in the garden, and so everybody sinned. So when you come into the world, you already come in with a sin nature, and you already come in with, uh, with under the curse and the penalty of God. So that all humanity is born with a sin nature, a bent to do, uh, an inclination to do what is evil, and all of humanity is born under the sentence of death, which for them, because there's a gulf between God and humanity, is eternal separation from God. Make sense? So here's some of the beautiful things that Augustine had to say about life. Um, he, he maintained that unbaptized babies were rightly punished because they belong, here's a quote, they are rightly punished because they belong to that mass of perdition born of Adam, condemned under the bond of ancient debt. So, therefore, you have infant baptisms taking place. Now, watch how the powers that be can use this to consolidate their empire, how the church can use this to consolidate their empire. Right now, in evangelicalism, if we want to grow the church, we have to win the battle for ideas. We have to say our idea about who Jesus is, our idea about life, our idea about uh, who you can become is interesting enough and powerful enough and effective enough that people want to convert and join your group, right? Well, the church didn't want to go to all that trouble. So how much easier then is it to say, if your baby dies, it's going to go to hell and be separated from God. So it needs to be baptized Catholic in order to be saved. And the only baptisms that are valid are baptisms that are done by state-sponsored Roman Catholic priests. Much easier than to stabilize and grow your, your influence, your power. Using fear. Does that make sense? And one of the groups that we don't ever talk about, we, we talk about the Reformation like it's this wonderful thing, you know, and it was, uh, had a lot of things, but we, 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 we talk about it with sentimentality. We talk about it with romance. We don't realize it was bloody and horrible. <laughs> And there was one group that was persecuted above all other groups during the Reformation, and they were known as the Anabaptists. And the word Anna, it means again, to be baptized again. So why were they upset? Think about this. Their power is rooted in the fact that they get you as a baby. But the Anabaptists come along and say, no, that's not true. That's not even biblical. In the Bible, people had to make a choice. Baptism was an outward sign of an inward choice or an inward decision to follow Jesus. And so they started baptizing or re-baptizing all these children because they were winning in the arena of ideas. And this is threatening to the Catholic Church. Now, you got to understand, Lutherans embraced Augustine, so they practice infant baptism. Presbyterians embraced Augustine, really embraced Augustine, so they practice infant baptism, but the Anabaptists were going around saying, no, you're not born in sin, you have to convert, and baptism is about conversion, so you know what they did? They ganged up on them and they killed them. Violently. Which is one of the streams, you know what one of the streams today that comes out of the Anabaptist uh, groups? Is the Amish. Do you know why Amish people never got with technology? You know why they never integrated with society? Because this is the power of this thing, because it still exists today. The reason they did it wasn't because of holiness. It was because they were so tired of being killed and persecuted for their faith that they left Europe and came over here and decided maybe over here we'll have some peace. But they said the way that we maintain peace is we don't integrate With the non-believers and so the trauma the cultural trauma there really is such a thing as a group mind there really is such thing as a group consensus that affects us and so that movie I mean that movie made money because it, it, it resonates with something that's deep in the unconscious mind of the Western psyche that people think that's conceivable. Yeah, that's what people would do. Well, that's what Augustine said. Does that make sense? And so here the Amish come over and to this day, I and mean, we had some members of our church that came out of that and they had covered wagons, outhouses, the whole deal. Because to this day, the power of the, the trauma of that persecution stayed in the collective consciousness of that people. So, so much so that when the kids leave, the parents will disown them and tell them they're going to hell. You see the power of this thing and why it's important and why I keep talking about it. (laughs) Um, So sex became the problem because because sin is passed through. So here's what here's what Augustine said. Jesus was born of a virgin so he could bypass original sin because sin is passed through the man's semen through sexual intercourse. So therefore he had to be born of a virgin because that allowed him to not take on the sin nature of Adam. So sexuality became condemned. So much so, here's, here's something from Augustine. <laughs> he strongly condemns in his writings a fellow bishop for this. He condemns him for this. Listen to this. For encouraging married couples to engage in the sexual act whenever they wanted. <laughs> married couples. So here's a saying from Augustine. This is the root of the foundation of his theology. May I know thee, O God, that I may love thee. May I know myself that I may despise myself. Now, how many of you have seen some germination of that in your Christian experience? How many of you have ever thought, oh, I'm just so unworthy to have thus and so? Or maybe you thought humility or pride was making too much of yourself or thinking too highly of yourself or something like that, right? Right. And so this, this idea is out there. You'll, you'll hear it in Christian songs. You'll hear it on Christian radio. You'll hear it in Christian preaching. You'll, um, I shared with the first service how at one of the FCA events that I went to, it was, it was just loaded. Every, every speaker was just loaded with this idea that somehow I'm unworthy. And this idea of separation, that as human beings, we're way down here. But God is clear up here. And this belief that everything, is, everything about me is evil, Right? Because a religion that embraces that belief, um, a religion—okay, I don't have a a religion that embraces that belief will do this. It will teach a distrust of our very existence. How can I trust myself because I'm going to go against God and I've got all this evil inside of me? It'll teach you a distrust of your body, and and it will—right? I mean, that's obvious, right? It will teach you—watch this—a distrust of society or of other people, which we see being played out in that movie, right? It will teach you a distrust of the cosmos or of the universe or of nature or of creation. It teaches, us to, it teaches us both consciously and unconsciously, verbally and non-verbally, fear. <laughs> Which St. John said, perfect love casts out fear. And he that fears has not been made perfect in love. And the goal of the Christian life is to become perfected in love. But yet here we are stuck with this belief system that teaches us distrust and teaches us fear, teaches us to fear ourselves, fear our own hearts, fear our own inclinations, our own desires, our own energies. But the Bible doesn't really do this. If if you read Proverbs, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, if you look at some of the Psalms, all of that affirms the goodness and total trustworthiness of creation. I'll show you an example here in a minute. Both of them teach Jesus and, and Solomon that wisdom is acquired in order to acquire wisdom, which is the principal thing. Right. In order to acquire knowledge of how to live and how to do life, it requires an openness and a trust of experience An openness and a trust of experience An openness and a trust of nature and just basically a trusting attitude. Jesus said this. He said, if you're going to enter the kingdom, you've got to become like a little child. Why is it that our culture is so horrified by crimes against children? Because they're so trusting. A child is trusting. It always amazes me. Like, just, you know, sometimes the sense of responsibility as a parent uh, early on, maybe because it took us so long to become parents, it it weighs on me more than other people, maybe because I'm OCD. I don't know. But... (laughs) But just giving my kid medicine, you know, like I I give my kid medicine and they'll just take it. They don't ask what it is and they just drink it. And and the sense of responsibility that I have to make sure I'm giving them the right medicine to make sure I give them the, the dosage correctly and to make sure I'm giving them something that will help them and not harm them because they're so trusting about it. But see, Jesus is saying that somehow in our walk with him, if we're going to actualize and realize who we are, we have to capture that kind of a trusting openness once again. And it's very difficult to walk around with an open and trusting heart if you think that the world is evil, if you think that people are at their core evil. Because, see, here's the issue. This is really the basic issue. What do you believe about humanity? Do you believe about humanity, yourself included, that they are basically rotten to the core and untrustworthy and bent on evil, or do you believe that they are good to the core, that they carry the image of God and they carry the light of God inside of them? For St. John, in the Gospel of St. John, it's very clear that every human being carries the light of Christ inside of them. But they're born into darkness. That's how John does it. It's not they're born with a a broken nature. They're born a broken human being. They're born unworthy, whatever. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him. He begins his spirituality with creation. He does not begin... His spirituality with the fall. Augustine, Martin Luther, charismatics, evangelicals, word of faith, especially word of faith people that, that 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 learned from E. W. Kenyon. If you go back and read E. W. Kenyon's writings, he was big on uh, the 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 horrible nature, the the sin nature, the the sin nature of Satan. He he would talk about how when Adam ate the tree, the the sin nature of Satan went right into the core of his being. So you have to ask yourself, what's your view of humanity? The humanity. Humanity at its core is satanic, as though Satan created them, or humanity at their core is godly, as though God created them. And do they have light or do they have darkness? So let me ask you this question. When you look at other traditions outside of Christianity, when you look at Hinduism or you look at, at uh, and I'm trying to wake some of you up, <laughs> You, you look at Islam, or you look at Wicca, or you look at some of these things. Are you, or you look at Hinduism and, and other, other people? Are you trying to find the darkness that's inside of them? Or are you trying to find the light that's inside of them? So when, when Western missionaries went out and spread the gospel to native peoples, they were, they were so convinced of original sin that everything that they saw was darkness. The way that they danced, the way that they played the drums, the way that they dressed, all of it was filled with darkness. So they had to convert and become Westerners. So it's, it's such a paradox when I go to Kenyan, at Kenya. it just It drives me nuts, and I love all my Kenyan friends, but it drives me nuts that we go to church... And, and everybody's wearing suits and ties, and we're singing American worship songs, and doing this stuff, and it's good, and we're following a miracle in church growth principles, and it's good. And then at some point in the service, they let the African come out. They like, they like come out, and they're, they're more, uh, in their cultural dress, which is, has more flair and more life. You've seen some of the videos and they do some of their dances and they do some of, and they do their own stuff. And man, the life that, uh, that's in that, that just, you know, but but then then we have to go back to acting. Because that's how they were converted. But for you, the question is, do you look for darkness in things? Do you look for darkness in people or do you try to find the light? Because even St. Paul said, "Even watch how Paul does this. He says, even the heathen, he goes in Romans 1, he says, the heathen, they do all this horrible stuff, man. They're just into all kinds of crazy stuff. The purge. (laughs) And then he comes back and he says, but they have the testimony of God written on their heart. That In their essence, that's not who they are. They're pretending, they're acting, they've forgotten who they are. In their essence, they have the light of God. In, in their essence, they have goodness. So when he goes to Athens, when he goes to Athens, he, 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 he sees all these idols, all these idols of the Greco-Roman world. And the scriptures say, the story says that he was vexed in his spirit by all the idolatry. But then he found this one God who was called the unknown God. And he said, you see this God that you worship, this unknown God, this is the God that created heaven and earth. This is the God who's trying to know you. That he's hoping that you'll grow up in the darkness and find him. And he's not far from any of us. (laughs) See, there goes Augustine's separation. He's not far from any of us. He says, for in him, we, he's talking to non-Christians, in him, we live and move and have our being. And even as one of your own prophets said, or poets said, even as one of your own poets said, we are all his offspring. So he's trying to find areas where there is light so that the light that is in him can connect with the light that is in them and he can lead them out of their darkness and out of their ignorance and out of their fear of their gods and their, and all of that idolatry because they didn't trust creation. The reason they worshiped their gods was not because they loved their gods. They worshiped their gods because they feared their gods. So they made temples because they thought, well maybe if we make them a house in this city and we'll give them offerings and maybe if we, if we satisfy them with, with food And so we're going to sacrifice animals. And maybe if we satisfy them with with sex, so we're going to give virgins to them or whatever, then maybe they'll take it easy on us and we won't have a natural disaster and my kids won't die and whatever the case may be. And so they're caught in this bondage of fear. And Paul's trying to find the light in them and lead them out of the, the darkness of their fear and out of the darkness of their distrust. So that now we can have a culture, maybe, where, where, where there, is, you, you could trust people, you could trust life, you could trust creation, and it's not the, the pagans, the pagans are saying, look, creation is good, they're saying, look, life is good, people are good, let's just love one another, and you got the Christians trying to scare everybody back into the darkness by saying, no, everything's evil, and everything's wicked, and everything's dark, and you better just stay away from it, and you better, because, you know, there are eight shadow families that are running the whole world, well, who cares? That affects my life how? In the grand scheme of things. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? And so, and there's just evil and there's darkness and there's the Antichrist and there's Antichrist spirit and there's deception coming. And so we want to put everybody back in bondage and everybody back in darkness. And we miss the whole point of the whole thing. And that is that God put so much value on humanity that, that in the Christian doctrine of the incarnation, God himself became a human being for all of eternity and shed his blood for human beings. Because he wanted to recover and redeem and save the creation that he had lost. Because when God looks, he sees treasure. He doesn't see trash. When God looks, he sees light. He doesn't see darkness. But what are we portraying? What are we reflecting? What are we putting out there? Can't trust people. They're just going to screw you over. And maybe that's true about your experience, but maybe your experience is the byproduct of your belief. Because that's our problem. We attract to ourselves what we believe. And we experience what we believe. And so if you believe that the world is a horrible place, you believe that it's not trustworthy, you believe that you're a horrible person, you're going to go out and do horrible things. You're going to go out and horrible things are going to happen to you. You're going to go out and have all kinds of experiences that are going to confirm to you that the world is a horrible place. And you're going to say, see, I knew it. And now the belief is even stronger. It's energized even more. And now it's expanding. Or what if we just started looking for the light and stuff what if we just started believing that people in their essence are good that you know that movie it's crazy because it's like they take away the rules and everybody just becomes a a, a psychopath like they all become Jeffrey Dahmers seriously it's like I don't believe that (sighs) I mean, I'm not suggesting it as an idea, but I'm just saying I don't believe that all your neighbors and everybody is just out to get you. And the only thing that's restraining them is fear of punishment. I just I cannot be that cynical about life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's look at this last thing. From Matthew chapter 7. Watch how Jesus does this. I'm sorry. Chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. Jesus says. says. Therefore I say to you. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat. Or what you will drink. Nor about your body. What you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own. Sufficient is the evil for today. So he's saying, "Look at creation, it's good, it's nurturing, it's sustaining. If God takes care of the birds, how much more will he not take care of you because you're more valuable than they? If God closed the 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 flowers and has all this goodness in the world, then how much more is he going to take care of you because you're of more value than they? See, he's he's really, he really is, if you look at the teachings of Jesus outside of your Western frame of reference, you begin to discover that Jesus sees good in humanity and it's the belief that we are all created in the image of God that is the basis for much of his teaching. It's because we're all created in the image of God is the reason you should give to the poor. To elevate them to become who they are, it's because humanity is good that you should love them. It's because humanity is good, it's good that you should love your enemies and that you should turn the other cheek. He's totally reframing things, but he's basing it on a belief that there is a lost image of God inside of humanity that they've just lost their way. The, the problem is not that they're inherently evil. The problem is that they're trapped in the lies of darkness and they've lost their way, and they need the light of truth to break the power of those lies and to break the power of that darkness and to bring them out of darkness. And into light. The new birth is all about seeing the kingdom. It's all about light coming. It's not about the change of your nature. It's about an awakening to who you really are so that the you that really is can be manifested or be born again. Born again. (laughs) Get it born the first time trapped in darkness. You forgot who you were now the you that you really are has to be born again. So being a born-again Christian does not mean your nature was changed from sin to righteousness. It means that you had at the core of your being the righteousness of God all along. You just forgot about it, and that had to be renewed or reborn or regenerated. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the teachings of Jesus does. So I want you to ask yourself, is the world The way God created it, basically good. And is humanity the way God created them, basically good? Or is the world a hostile, unfriendly environment that you have to protect yourself from? And are you looking for the light in things, or are you looking for the darkness in things? And if you find yourself constantly looking at the darkness and stuff, you really need to ask yourself, what is it in my belief system that causes me to obsess looking for darkness? Because the Bible says deep calls to deep. So if I'm looking for the darkness, I'm calling it into my life. It must mean there's some darkness inside of me that I haven't resolved. And maybe it's as simple as, a, as being born in the West. Part of the Western collective consciousness that says that humanity is just wicked and evil. And untrustworthy. And maybe you could try taking off that belief for a season in your life. And see what happens when you do that. But see, it can be so deeply embedded in you that even the suggestion that I let go that you let go of that belief terrifies you because you're afraid you'll be led into darkness, which just goes to show you how deeply that belief is actually embedded in the Western psyche. Does that make sense to you? So let's take communion today. <laughs> let's take communion today. And remember that God became a human being. (laughs) He became one of us. And that we participate, really, when you're participating in the broken body and the blood of the Savior, are you not participating in the humanity of the Savior? So let's don't come to the table as unworthy sinners (laughs) saved by grace. Let's come to the table as a family. Let's come to the table as brothers and sisters. Let's come to the table as sons and daughters of God. And partake in our own humanity that God celebrates enough that we have the symbols of it as one of the most sacred rituals in the Christian church. Does that make sense to you? So let's just pray. I'll pray for you and over the elements and then we'll, we'll finish up. But Lord, I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for their willingness to learn. Lord, thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thank you for the night on which Jesus was himself betrayed. He spoke to us and gave us the record of saying, Behold, this is my body which is broken for you. And that he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, This is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the remission or the removing of our sins. And this do in remembrance of who I am. And so, Lord, we come together to remember who you are. That you are the fully realized divine man that helps us to fully realize our own divine nature. And we want to partake with that in mind. And So we bless this time. We bless the elements. We bless our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name. Amen.